Fire up the bry. Let's get the party started. Welcome to On The Whistle. I'm your host, Zane Nabi. Drum roll, please. With me, we have Spirit Cup winner, former CAF Champions League player, and former Premier Soccer League winner, Courtney Freeze with me. Next to him, we have Alistair Howarth, our multi-platform, cross-platform, wonderfully knowledgeable, East African expert, high-flying, luscious locks, man at the AFCON later this summer. How are you doing? How are you both doing? Do you like your intros? I'm feeling good after that. <laughs> Honestly, Zane, you know, what I, you know that intro, what I was thinking of? I was feeling like Steph Curry. Da, da, da. Looking for a hoop and just da, da, da. honestly, <laughs> you know what? If we were ballers and we're not, I reckon Alistair would be the one who dominate. Just height, pure height. Yeah, no skill, no talent, just height. That's what I. You know what on. I mean? He'd be dunking on his freeze. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, lads, always good to see your ugly mugs. Um, today's show for those listening out there and for those watching on YouTube, um, we're going to go through our highlights of the season. Also, some transfer talk. Who will end up where? The biggest African outside of Europe. And obviously, looking at South Africa, where there could be a big move on the cards for Ronwin Williams, who, who appeared on this podcast not so long ago. And then we head to the mailbag. We'll be reading some of your comments. You know, we love to hear from you. And on YouTube, our video with Bruce Grobler, when he was talking about ending the Liverpool curse, has suddenly got a huge... New life on YouTube. We've got some fresh comments in uh, that I will be filtering and reading out. But first of all, guys, let's get this price started. Let's get the talkers going. The season has pretty much come to an end in Europe and in Africa. Of course, some of the North African leagues still rolling on. We wait to see what will happen with Pizzo Masimane and Al-Akhli, for example, in the Egyptian Premier League. But for all intents and purposes, most of the big leagues um, and smaller leagues have come to an end. Alistair, let's start with you. When you look back around the Bry at the season, the dust has now settled. What were some of your highlights and memorable moments? I mean, I have to think back to just, just the last couple of weeks in terms of the, the CAF, CAF Champions League and CAF Confederations Cup, kind of the... the I think they've both been really, really excellent seasons. We've seen some fun, some fun rides from teams that, you know, might not have been expected to get there, kind of like Orlando Pirates and the Confederations Cup, you know, no disrespect to Orlando Pirates, but they, you know, they haven't had the most stellar season, you know, on, on South African soil, but for them to make it all the way to the final and, and really, you know, push for Kane and be the better side in the final was amazing. And, you know, similar with Petro Luanda in, in the semifinal, putting out sundowns and, you know, dominating Zamalek, putting them out in the group stage has been a fun ride. But I think, you know, the one thing for me that has kind of stuck out is, and, you know, feels like an increasing trend is the, the emergence and dominance of, of Moroccan clubs. You know, you're seeing seeing two winners this time in, in Burkane and, and Widad. You know, last year we saw Raja winning Confederations Cup. I think since 2017, there's been a Moroccan in the final of the Confederations Cup every single year and only twice have they not won it. You're seeing Widad get continually making it to the final and semifinals of the Champions League. So I think it's just an interesting trend that we're starting to see. You know, Morocco have invested a lot in their infrastructure, in their football in the last few years, and, and we're starting to see it pay off. Um, so I think in terms of the, the club football, for me, that's, that's been a real, real highlight. I mean, not, not a highlight if you're not Moroccan, obviously. Um, and obviously, you know, seeing seeing the the end of the the three peat attempt by Pizzo Mosimane and, and his Al Ahly team, who came so close to to really kind of uh, making history, but you know they they have to rebuild and reset now. 
Alistair, that was fantastic hearing your takeaways. Um, Courtney, it's been such a great season. What captured your attention? For me, the, my attention was captured by the situation at the African Nations Cup with the small island of Comores and uh, just how they navigated the, themselves through the tournament and then got to the quarterfinals against Cameroon where they had to play an outfield player in goal uh, and still put up a, and yes, the word, a spirited performance. <laughs> which was unlike anything I'd seen, um, a really fighting performance with players sent off, um, really pushed Cameroon. And this is a team with no real background or pedigree or history of good football. First time at an African Nations Cup tournament, really putting in a, a huge display, coming out of that game with more credit than the hosts themselves. So that was one of my biggest highlights. And then just the fact that the African Nations Cup during such a turbulent period went ahead. You know, there's a lot that Africa doesn't get credit for. There's a lot that Africa gets hammered about. And there's a lot that Africa gets said we are behind Europe for. But our unlucky our... Um, other brother Francis is not online yet at the moment. He'd be able to tell you uh, the crowds, the supporters, the, the, the people were at these stadiums enjoying football. And that was a highlight for me, just having supporters back in the game. Because without the supporters, that extra 10% that players need is, was always missing. So those were my two huge highlights of the season. We've spoken about some of the teams. We've spoken about Morocco. We've spoken about fans being back. But there were certainly a number of coaches, Alistair, who performed excellently. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at the AFCON, you know, there was coming into it. I remember we were talking with Baba Kardiar who came onto the pod and he's talking about how, you know, Aliou Cisse was under so much pressure coming into, the, into this final. And it was essentially kind of win or go home. You know, he was going to get sacked if, if Senegal didn't win it. And, you know, they... They crossed, they got over the finish line, they won it, they beat Egypt, they scrapped through it, winning on penalties. You know, they didn't, they, they weren't blowing teams away. They weren't as exciting as some of the other teams like Cameroon in, in, the, in the tournament, but they, they did it. And then they did it again, you know, in the World Cup, in the World Cup qualifiers against Egypt again on penalties, you know, sensational um, result. But yeah, I think it's really important to, to point out, you know, in, in African football, we, we've, We've always had the talent. We've always had the superstar players. You know, if you look back through all the years, but you know, it feels like we're starting to catch up in terms of the coaching quality. Um, you know, CAF have just you know have finally launched their own licensing structure, and we no longer have to rely on UEFA. Um, and you know, we're seeing that now with with the very first batch with, um, finishing off their their CAF licenses now. The likes of Pizzo, the likes of Walid Bragi and Ali Cisse and you know, these are the guys who are now starting to clean up on the continent. You know, Pizzo is obviously quickly becoming the most successful person in, in CAF history in terms of club competition. Wiley just won the, the, the CAF Champions League. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot of African coaches emerging, like Florent Dengue, who won the Confederations Cup. And I think it's brilliant because I think for far too long in Africa, we've settled for kind of second tier European coaches who are coming across the continent with nothing on their CV except for a coaching badge and license and being given a really good job um, and, and, you know, and struggling and not doing, doing well. And it's great to see African coaches really thriving um, and, and seeing them kind of 
really pushing pushing the envelope and you know we're seeing in south africa with a lot of these other guys coming through like coach rulani and and benny you know these are top top coaches um and you know the it's it feels like it's only a matter of time when we'll start being the ones importing coaches back to europe you know hopefully we'll be seeing that because the quality of coaches is finally starting to catch up to the quality of players that we're producing and i think that's been a real highlight for me this this season we also can't forget about the women's game. Um, somebody that stood out to me as a Barcelona fan was Asisat Oshola, how she was so instrumental in Barcelona's um, three titles that they won, um, or sorry, their, their, their two titles that they won, the league and the cup, of course, playing in the Champions League final. She was crucial. She's a Nigerian superstar. We look forward to her and how she will perform in the uh, women's AFCON uh, later this year. Um, but again, you know, the women's game continues to develop. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there's um, areas uh, where there needs to be more of an imbalance and more equality. And, you know, we stand for that and on the whistle. But from your perspective, and I know you're going to be our man at the Women's AFCON, um, and we're going to follow all the latest news with you there. Um, what have been some of your highlights from the season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been great look seeing some some of the the African stars in in Europe. The, you know, Asisat being the best example, even though she's had kind of an injury hit season, she still finished. You know, I think joint top goal scorer in in La Liga, and 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 so you know to see her and the likes of Tembi Khatana kind of bossing it in 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 Spain and in other countries is really great to see. But I think for me, the biggest thing has been seeing the the CAF Women's Champions League this season. You know, we did a pod on it earlier in I think November and and it was great to see you know finally women being given the platform on the continent that they so thoroughly deserve and and we saw that in terms of the quality I think there was a lot of questions going into it in terms of you know are we going to see huge disparities in quality because you know we're doing regional qualifiers and so are some of the leagues with really strong kind of women's leagues like Morocco like Egypt like Nigeria are they just going to clean up um but kind of it was really competitive I mean I looked to a team like you know from Kenya Vihiga Queens you know not from Nairobi not not connected to any big major Kenya Premier League men's clubs it's a very very small club you know not not professional and yet they held their own they beat Asfar Rabat from Morocco you know they pushed sundowns and and that was what was super really impressive and really surprising is how competitive it was. I mean, Sundowns, Sundowns were the best team. They were the deserved winners, um, but they were pushed in a lot of games. Um, and I think that was really exciting. And, and I think for me, the biggest positive from it was you saw after the tournament was the number of players who got big moves off the back of it. And I think that was the biggest thing was that being on YouTube, being free to watch, suddenly these players were being given the platform to shine that they, you know, they deserve and they've needed. You know, you look at the likes of Evelyn Badu, who's player of the tournament. You know, she's now in Sweden. You, you know, I think from Vihiga, Queens, four or five players have now moved abroad to Turkey, France, South Korea. Um, and so it's just great to see that that's actually finally there's a platform um, for, for the women's game to, to evolve. And, and hopefully with this AFCON, you know, we missed the last one in 2020 because of COVID. Hopefully we'll be seeing the same thing, you know, a jump up in quality, in competitiveness. Because again, on ter in, in terms of on paper, we've got some huge teams, you know, finally, I think we've got some real challenges to Nigeria, mainly from South Africa. Cameroon are going to be good. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too far past Morocco either. Hosts, they've come a long way. They've looked good the last couple of years. But you've also got some deputants, um, you know, the likes of Burundi, the likes of Botswana. And I think it's going to be really exciting again. And hopefully, again, this will be another platform 
for for the African football to thrive and for these players to get big moves, for these players to show the world what they've got. Lots to look forward to this summer. The um, AFCON Women's Tournament is bound to be very competitive. Um, and we will have teams in the race. In defense, like Courtney and I will, we'll have a, we'll have a Banyana Banyana team to support, to get behind. But staying on the theme of the AFCON, um, I know, Courtney, at the moment, uh, your team, when I say your team, I mean Liverpool, your club team, um, are currently in negotiations with Sadio Mane. It looks like he's probably on his way out. I think as we start to look ahead and look at some of the key transfers, he's going to be one that is going to be one of the hottest properties this summer, waiting to see where he lands. Zane, the Sadio Mane transfer is going to cause a lot of people a lot of sadness, but I also think a lot of people a lot of joy. And I'll explain the both sides. Sadio Mane came to us, um, not the finished product. We bought him for 32 million at the period, which was a, a lot of money for someone who was nowhere near what he is today. He's given us six years of unbelievable joy, won huge amounts of trophies with him. And in those six seasons, he's become a world beater. And this is what Klopp does. Klopp finishes off players into what they currently are. Um, Sadio Mane now is at a position where if he is desiring a new project, as a Liverpool supporter, I can't be grudging because he came to us during a period when nobody was coming to us. And one of the things that he did was turn down Man United, who had made a bid for him, and come to us. So he'll always be loved by Liverpool people. Uh, but him leaving is going to make a lot of people sad, because he is such a good player. Why it'll make people happy that he's going is because for six seasons, 33 million... And if we get a price of value for him now, he should go for maybe close to 50 million. So why would you not sell him? He's given us absolutely everything and we're selling him at a profit. I think it's only right that clubs are not greedy. We let him go. And then we open the door for other players for Klopp to do what he does. So there's the two perspectives. Showing appreciation to the guy, being sad he's going, but also being happy because we are. When does a, a, a sale of a top star go for more than what you bought him? That's a very rare commodity in this market. And now I just want to also put this down there. We paid 33 million for Sadio Mane. He has scored over 100 goals and got close to over 100 assists. Alistair, I have to ask you, with Mane moving, where do you think he'll end up? Which club in Europe or around the world would benefit from him most? I think it's, a, it's an interesting question because I think part of it is, is there, there's an element of him wanting, I think, wanting pastures new in terms of, you know, this season has been hugely significant for him, mainly in terms of with Senegal, you know, being the man who took them to, to the AFCON and, the, you know, that they've been craving for so so long but also with Liverpool you know such a letdown in terms of being so close to achieving so much um, but, but one thing that I saw recently was really interesting was in terms of the amount of money that he gets paid 
in comparison to Liverpool's other stars like Mohamed Salah. You know, I think he, I think Mane makes less than half of what Salah makes. And so I think there's an, there's an element there where Mane is feeling actually, you know, I, I want to turn to being either a, the big star or at least getting, getting that paycheck that, you know, I've so thoroughly deserved because in terms of, you know, like Courtney was mentioning the, the, the output he's had, if you compare it to players at Liverpool, at other clubs, he's not been getting the same kind of kind of financial reward as well as being having, you know, necessarily being the star player. I mean, one thing that I think took a lot of Liverpool fans, but no Senegalese fans by surprise was how well Mane did when he's played through the middle. But of course, for Senegal, he's been playing through the middle his, his entire career. That's where he's most natural as, as, as a number 10 or as a false nine. Um, and in terms of clubs that I think could benefit from him, I think a lot. But I think the question is, in terms of what what clubs have the money um, in in the current market, I think you know the big favorites are Bayern Munich. But I think that is kind of reliant on if Lewandowski goes. And you know we saw earlier today that Bayern don't aren't don't seem keen to let Lewandowski go. And so you know until they offload him, will they have the funds for Mane? Um, that'll be interesting to see. And you know otherwise, you know it's hard to see him making a move to to one of the big La Liga clubs. You know, Barca Real, I, you know, I don't think either of them are in a position to take on. And, you know, in many ways that, that leaves either a, a move to Italy, which and Juve's already, you know, spent, looks like they're bringing in some high high profile players like Pogba. And so then maybe it leaves, you know, just, just PSG. Um, so I think it's going to be really fascinating because I don't think we're in a market like we were, say, five years ago, where you have, you know, 10 clubs that will spend hundreds and hundreds of millions and are ready to to spend that on individual players, especially, I think we're now in a situation where there's very, very few clubs who can actually spend that kind of money that, that Liverpool might want. So I think a lot also depends on Liverpool and how much money they'll be asking for. Absolutely. Um, I, for one, uh, would love to see him at Barcelona uh, if we could make that happen. But like you, I think if he does go, it's got to be to the German giants and Bayern Munich because they've probably got the money to make that happen once they offload Lewandowski. We've looked at Marley, Mane as in terms of the African abroad and you know potentially being the biggest uh, transfer this summer or the most high profile. From an African domestic point of view, Courtney, um, I know that there is a player who's on your radar. His name is Ronwin Williams. He appeared on our podcast uh, a few weeks ago and made it very clear that he was happy to be the Bafana number one, very proud of that, to captain them, and also to continue in his role at Supersport, um, you know, one of the traditional um, forces in, uh, in local South African football in the sense that they're one of the mainstays, well-funded. We also spoke to Stanley Matthews, uh, who runs that team. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it seemed like Ronwin was very happy at Supersport, Although, I must say, Alistair and I did listen to the pod, and he did leave the door slightly open when he said if the right offer came, he'd listen. Um, is that a transfer you'll be following closely? Zane, this transfer is growing legs. It had no legs earlier on. Ronwin stated very clearly how happy he was at Supersport, how they align with his principles. He loves the way they don't only treat him, how they treat the other players in the club. And he just felt... You know, this is a very good place. And he also did mention on our podcast that if he has to end his career at Supersport, he has no problems with that. He has no problems with that. Uh, firstly, what a gentleman to speak to. And I think he really embodied everything that after also speaking to Stanley Matthews came through Ronwin as well. But as you said, he left the door open. And as we know, 
Sundowns has got more money than water. Um, they have a goalkeeper who's won close to nine major trophies in South Africa, the most decorated goalkeeper ever in South Africa. Uh, his problem is he's 37 years old. And the person you're talking about is Dennis Nyango, the Ugandan. And the person I'm talking about is Sundowns number one, Dennis Nyango. The difficulty for Ronwin is he's not dropping in standard. He's still a very good goalkeeper. But you can just hear the accountant in the background talking, listen, yeah, we get him off the payroll. Ronwin comes in cheaper. We got a, and Ronwin's not just a fly by night goalkeeper, Ronwin is a number one. You know, so um, I think Ronwin's going to go to Sundowns. What makes me also almost confirm this is that Ronwin's become very silent in his conversations with me. Uh, we normally have a bit of back and forth, but for the last two weeks, he's just gone off radar, saying nothing. Um, I think the Ronwin move to Sundowns is going to work. And I would be pushing for that move if I'm Ronwin's agent. I have to ask you, Dennis Nyango is not in bad form. He's experienced. Yes, he's 37, so he's old in the tooth. I mean, Sundowns want to build a dynasty. Sundowns want to be competitive in Africa. Why wouldn't they just keep Dennis for another season or two and bring Ronwin on at a later stage? Zane, I think it's the succession planning. This is it. The Sundowns also have, if you look at their purchases, they want to pick up players that is not going to develop into the success, but continue the success from the immediate time they hit the club. The club culture almost molds the player into, you come here to win. And Ronwin did speak about this. He touched on that. He did say he will get to a point in his career where he wants to start winning. The thing that Sundowns can offer Ronwin besides a bit more money, is the opportunity not to only win in South Africa, to win in Africa. And this is what the Bafana number one should be chasing. He should be chasing multiple trophies on the, on the continent. Ronwin is at the right age to be that goalkeeper. His agent should be pushing for it. Ronwin himself should be pushing for it. The problem here at the moment is who's in front of him at Sundowns is not playing bad. I wonder if there's, there's like a sense in terms of, yeah, moving beyond, because obviously for Sundowns, you know, they've, they've cleaned up domestically, especially this season, you know, the treble, there was never for any one moment that things looked in doubt. And, you know, we've seen that Pirates and Chiefs are both, you know, changing a lot in terms of backroom staff. They've, you know, offloaded loads of players or bringing in new players. But I, I feel for me, there, there's almost a sense that, you know, I think Onyango has kept those high standards and he's good enough to win the PSL for, for, for Sundowns. But is he good enough to win the Champions League? I think that's the question for me in terms of his aging and his, and his slowing down. Because, I mean, you know, I remember the, in the Petro, Petro Luanda games when, when Sundowns got knocked out, I think two of the three goals that Sundowns conceded were kind of mistakes for Onyango. And again... You know, as a as a fellow East African, I, I think he's fantastic, and I think he's a brilliant servant both to to, to Sundowns and previously to Uganda. But you know, I, I think for me, that's where this has so many legs in terms of wrong one is a you're taking him away from Pirates, away from Chiefs, who especially you know, let's be real, neither of them are in, in continental football next season. Um, 
and so they both have you know maybe a, a genuine shot at challenging for you know whether it's whether it's the NetBank or MTN or eight or 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 the PSL, but you know, can Sundowns do it in the champ in the Champions League? Because that's ultimately the big the big stumbling block for them. You know, the last few years since since Pizzo left, and so you know maybe signing signing someone like Ronwen, who you know has the potential to be one of the best goalkeepers in Africa. You know, I think of the likes of you know Taganuti and El Shanawe, who were both in the final last week. You know, th- that's the standards in which I think Ronwen can be at. Um, and that's the standards that sometimes need some uh, their keeper to be at if they're going to be if they're going to go away to to Morocco or Egypt and actually come away with a title. Gentlemen, thank you for that discussion. Great to get your take on the transfers and recap the season. As promised, we're going to go to the mailbag. For those out there who want to send us and send us a letter, we don't do snail mail, but we do do social media. So hit us up at OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook in the On The Whistle podcast by searching On The Whistle podcast rather and by doing the same thing on YouTube. And that is where we get the majority of our comments today. And um, for those who listen to our podcast, you'll know about two years ago, we spoke to Bruce Krobler, the former Zimbabwe goalkeeper, the man who won six league titles with Liverpool, no, we're not Liverpool's unofficial supporters club. That's just a theme that's come through today. I can promise you that. If Francis was here, he would assure you that we're not Liverpool supporters club. But this video that we posted um, about two years ago was Bruce Krobler telling us the anecdote about how he ended the Liverpool curse by peeing on the Anfield goalposts. Go and listen to it. It's a great video. Whether you believe in Sangomas or whether you believe in Muti or not, go and take a listen. It's, it's an interesting anecdote. And we had some comments from people who watched that video back that I'm going to read out to you now. Um, the first being from Adedeo Adarian. He said, so what happened last season that Virgin Valdijk didn't play? They lost seven in a row at home. Or does it come with the clause? that fans must be present. We had Soren back say, good job, it wasn't Pooh that broke the curse. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Scatological humor does make me laugh. And we had Andrew Bill Marley, and he said, mumbo jumbo Brucey. Certainly a doubter. And finally, we had Des O'Neill, and he said, I remember a video of Bruce hanging from the bar because he was bored during a game. I think it was in Johannesburg at the time. A true sportsman, in my opinion, talent, commitment, and entertainment. And I think we can all agree, Bruce Krobler, incredibly successful, incredibly talented, had a real knack for doing things with the flair and flamboyant, certainly didn't live a boring life. But we can all agree, very, very entertaining. Gentlemen, I think that's a good place where we'll leave the pod today. Courtney, Alistair, thank you for spending your time with me. Thank you for going through the transfers and, of course, your highlights for the season. Can't wait to do this again soon. We'll see you around the braai in a week or so.